Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. There's so Father Mike about? getting his coffee. He literally just got up right when we started. <laughs> <laughs> Atlanta Braves baseball. It, hmm. So you were saying what, what movie is this, Rob? Oh, 13 Days. 13 Days. Yeah, recommend it. It's Kevin Costner, a couple other actors you would know, but uh, it's about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it, um, it's interesting. I watched it because when I was down in, in Florida a couple weeks ago with my mom and dad, we went to the Everglades and the Everglades has, you can visit the, uh, uh, Nike missile base in the Everglades that was set up in response to the Cuban missile crisis. Hmm. So it's this very, very interesting thing. They have like a real, it's obviously disarmed and everything, but they have a real Hercules missile that you can go in the bunker and, and see and everything. Um, so it's pretty cool. It's just like this, not in ruins, but just these, you're just out in the middle of the Everglades and these old bunkers that they built. But, but it's interesting. So, and I don't know like the exact historical, historical accuracy of 13 days, but it's just an entertaining, um, movie. And there's like, there's a great scene. So Adlai Stevenson would have been like the kind of the old grizzled politician. I think he, for Kennedy, he was the ambassador to the United Nations hmm. and they kind of at least portray him as like just tired and, and kind of like not up to the hard fights <clears throat> anymore politically. But then he at, at the UN, he just goes after like the Soviet ambassador and you can like find it on YouTube. Um, it's a great, it's a cool scene in the movie, but, uh, yeah, they, he tells the, the Soviet guy tells him, yeah, pretty much that the U S has no evidence for this. And they're putting the, the world on the brink of war. And Stevenson just like, I mean, he hammers him, man. And, um, and he says like, he's like, yes or no, you know, do you, did you put those ballistic missiles in? in Cuba. Don't ask, don't wait for the translation, you know, yes or no. And he just like keeps on him Mm. and and to the United Nations and the Soviet guys like, you know, I'm not in a court here, blah, 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 tries to skate the question. And Stevenson's response is like, well, I'll wait for my answer until hell freezes over. And he just sits there. Um, (laughs) So there's like cool, it's just like cool political scenes and everything. But one of the things that they do talk about in the movie, which was like such the fear of of the time was just like the reaction the chain reaction that happens in situations like that so like had kennedy done an airstrike to take out those missiles which like their understanding was we didn't have proper defenses of like washington was in danger if those missiles went live Mm -hmm. and so he tried the blockade and all of that and um I have not read this book. the The movie references the Guns of August. You guys ever heard of that book before? Mm-mm. But it's like it, the movie portrays it as it was very influential to Kennedy. I think it's a movie about World War One, where like leaders kind of operated under former t- like rules of former times, 
And in doing so and like not actually communicating with each other, it led to World War One because mm -hmm. it was just like this happened. So like then we have to do this and then we have to do this and we have to do this. Right, right, right. Um anyway, just that was just the movie. It's I mean it's worth it's worth watching. But on all the geopolitical stuff going on now, it is. It's like, gosh, you can't be like you just pray for like strong, clear leadership, but also like there is like that reality of like, please, Lord, don't let just like reactions happen. Mm -hmm. That's the stuff that frightens me of like, yeah. it's just this happens, then this, so this, so that. Yeah. Right. And all logically from one step to the other makes sense. But when you look <clears throat> at the big picture, you're like, why are we doing this? Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, and this episode is going to go out quite a bit after we're recording it now. So who knows what the situation on the ground is. But sure. another good movie uh, on this vein in the Cuban Missile Crisis I watched with my parents recently was called The Courier. It's Benedict mm -hmm. Cumberbatch, who has an awesome name. He plays this English. He It was a true story. It was a guy who sold like heavy equipment or something or maybe chemicals. Um and when was the Cuban Missile Crisis? The 60s? Well, Kennedy, 60s? When did Kennedy get killed? 63? So Cuban Missile Crisis would have been like 61, 62-ish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, somewhere in there. So it was around that time. And he he was recruited by the English CIA, which is called what? This is vintage. <laughs> what are they called again? The Not MI6 or whatever. But anyway, the intelligence people to go in because they still had some commercial relations with Moscow and he was, you know, got special approval by the Kremlin to go in and do and sell things to them. And, uh, because they knew they had a mole in the, in the, whatever, like one of the secretaries of defense or secretaries of whatever, um, was sympathetic to the West and knew about the, the missiles in Cuba and w got him like tons and tons of intelligence that basically like stopped the, it was what led to, it was a proof they needed, in other words, to like stop that from happening. And it was just some dingleberry, like he was not military, wasn't trained at all. He was, it cost him a lot um, and it put him in a ton of danger and he eventually he was imprisoned for, well, I don't want to spoil the, the movie, but, um, spoiler alert. It was, go ahead. Go ahead. it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> the courier. Watch it. Wow. That's the first time we haven't actually spoiled it. I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, here it she goes. Dies. Yeah. <laughs> We're already locked and loaded. I'm not going to not say it. Mm -hmm. Here we are. Yeah, man. Hmm. Pretty wild stuff. It is. It's it's tough to imagine like well, one guy can be so influential like this. Mm -hmm. it, it, that's I, I don't know. I guess that's the question that I have is is he the embodiment of a Russian spirit that desires this thing? Like they, they have this old dream of bringing this yeah, the Balkans Empire back? Or is is he just a wild man individually? 
I would ask it, and go back to that if you want to, Mets. My thought, and I've wondered about this before, because I don't have an answer, but do do ideas shape history or do people shape history? Hmm. Because like, I don't know. I think you could just, I think you could argue both, you know, where obviously like there's certain ideas that are like pervasive and like really get ingrained and have like incredibly negative consequences or positive. I mean, like, so the ideas are influential but then, like the the Cumberbatch point there, um, that's like, yeah. But also, then it's kind of the at least, and it, I'm sure it's Hollywoodized. But in 13 days, they portray the story again. We're just gonna kind of go with the movie being accurate history, Three Dogs North esque. <laughs> it absolutely is. We did but our research, kind of, right? They but, they did their research. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it's kind that. of portrayed as like the whole Cuban Missile Crisis came down to like a last minute backdoor meeting between Bobby Kennedy, who was the attorney general, and like, I don't know if it was the Russian ambassador to the States or some type of like, like Russian political figure. And they floated like a deal that the u.s would agree to but like couldn't make public because it would be too unpopular to like remove some missiles from turkey that were obsolete but it would allow who would that have been like khrushchev in in the soviet union it would allow him to like appease his party enough to pull the missiles Hmm. because no one wanted to go to war right but it was um it, it is an interesting movie in in that way. And even if that's not true, like stuff like that has happened to where like this meeting, like this one deal prevented war or whatever. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's my question. Ideas or people? Yeah. And the, then the question is like, what do you mean by history? Because what is, is the best. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, I mean it like we history has changed because of Christ, you know, and the Bible has a certain view of what history is. Um and the moments that sort of mark it, the beginning of history. This is Corbone that I'm teaching mm-hmm. to the seminarians. Um, the fullness of time, that's the incarnation, and then the last times which we live in now, until the consummation of time, which is the parousia. Um, but there are these moments that kind of mark it that are in history that happen in history, but they're events that transcend it. So like the resurrection is still happening right now, uh, just as the, as the crucifixion, the suffering of Jesus is happening right now. Those are events that happen in time. You, you know, if you were there at the time, you would have seen it, but they're events in the sense that they're not subject to dead time that they just <laughs> pass away. And then that's it, you know? Um, and so in, in a certain sense, yeah, people, who are baptized into those mysteries shape history, you know, like they are already living in the last times and like whatever the powers of the world do, that's, that stuff is like relatively on like completely irrelevant. You know, when we're all in the streets of gold, praising God forever in heaven, you'll be like, what years were you in that history? You know? And it's like, it's important in the measure that it sanctified you and you, 
became a saint because of that um, offering that you were able to make, but not like what you, we think here on this side without the lens of faith is like, oh, the really important people are Herod and Pilate and Caesar, but they're actually not. Yeah, dude, that's good. I'm also kind of got a jump start on Lent, but I'm reading uh, Story of a Soul again. And um, it's just like, man, if there's more to say there, we can go to it. But like the little flower, I mean, she lives in that reality mm-hmm. of like, and she doesn't move from it. And that's, I don't think her parents did either. That's why her parents are saints. <clears throat> But that's why, I mean, this is certainly to use kind of like a, um, I think I've heard Baron use this line about books before, but this is my third time reading Story of a Soul. And more than any other time, like this time it really sings from the page. Hmm. But because it's like, she, she lives in that place. Like this is the last times, like Jesus is here in everything. But then how she frames it and everything she talks about <clears throat> is like radically in front of her. Like, you know, there, I yeah, mean, that doesn't just, tear her out of reality as it is in time and matter. No, it puts her it, more deeply in it. But then internally, like the battles <clears throat> that she understands as like the fiercest are like, hey, can like, how does she respond when... <clears throat> the communal paintbrushes at Carmel are not put put back correctly. And like, that's the battle for sanctity of like, yeah, I mean, not spending a day <clears throat> like fretting and worrying about like global crises that <clears throat> it won't do any good for us to like, hash out and I mean, I think it's okay to like process and talk about and everything, but like, we're not going to solve, but internally, like in the fight for holiness, like how I respond to this like person's email who like Mm -hmm. needs something from me, like that's like, that's the battle that will make me a Mm -hmm. saint or not. Whether or not I simply endure my fellow podcaster continuing to clear his throat into the microphone or like tell him he should go get a glass of water. Shots fired. <laughs> Shots fired. Just fired. Should I block it? Block it. We were, uh, I was with, did I tell you guys this? I was eating lunch with the students in the student center, like food court the other day. And they have this big, huge TV screen that just flashes like, news clips or PSAs and stuff. And there was something about Russia and Biden and blah, blah, blah. And this girl just glances up at it and she goes, "Ugh, there's too much historic stuff happening. I don't want my life to be in the textbook. (laughs) That's really funny. I got a great meme from a friend a few days ago, and it was a picture uh, from True Detective and it was McConaughey smoking with like big eyes. It was the it was the episode when he goes back into the gang, and the oh, meme the, yeah. was every millennial who's enduring the third once in a lifetime world event in five years. 
It's like, yes, <laughs> that's, that's it. Smoking a cig, wide eyed. Unprecedented times. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just stress beyond belief. Yeah. <laughs> Golly. No, I appreciate that insight, Connor. That's like, that's a totally different way to view history. And I got to tell you, man, like I have been thinking a lot about the Putin stuff, the Russia stuff. Oh, especially, yeah. Not not from that perspective. Mm. Uh, but that's like, that's worldview shift. Right. Like, how, how do you understand history? How do you understand life? Like, what's the, the primary story that's being told here? Well, and both the causes of the pain and suffering and the historical unrest and also the the answer to them are different. Uh, you know, from the world's perspective, you, you ask, do people or ideas, and I assume also events, you know, shape history? It could be like an earthquake. It could be a famine, you know, that like ticks off certain things because of just the, the deterministic uh closed loop of the world if all the world is is this series of determinisms actions reactions um then yeah like things are caused by discrete individuals or discrete events there's not a communal like network there's not a connection that we all have um and that's kind of what the bible says is like war and crime and poverty and all bad things finally even death is caused by the thing that we all share which is sin you know, so in a in a way, we've all sinned in Adam, and we all participate in the bad that happens. Um, none of us is like, oh, that I'm outside of that that event, and I'm simply suffering it. I'm simply a victim of it. But in in some ways, we've caused it. We've caused war. We've caused crime. We've caused poverty. But also, um, we're responsible for it. But isn't also, the a, solution. Go ahead. Isn't that a uh, a Merton insight? Mm-hmm. He at some point say like, in how World can I, how can I wonder at so much war in the world when there's so much war in my own heart? Exactly. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Right. Um, and and the, by the same token, redemption is this is the uh, also in community, you right? Know? And it's by coming into that death, coming into that darkness, becoming sin who did not know sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God. Um, the escape from history and its determinisms is not by like standing outside of it, but by willingly entering into it with Christ and finding him there um, and standing in solidarity with sinners out of love um, because that's where Jesus is. Um, Yeah. To your Therese point about the paintbrushes, like, yeah, just, it just, I think changes the way you see everything. Um, doesn't make it less important i don't think and like certainly we pray for peace and we're not like indifferent to the suffering of of many people or even our own fears and stuff like that but um i think that's that's how you have how you stay plugged into communion and not because these sort of things are so easily um dismaying you know they disturb our peace they take us out of communion and they and they we fall back into the pre-christ way of looking at things where it's we're all just sort of like atomized individuals and there's nothing that's finally drawing us together um but somehow mysteriously we believe through history and it's easier when you look at it from 100 years of perspective 
um, than when you're actually in it. Like somehow through this suffering and this death, we are being drawn not only closer to God, but closer to each other, you know? Um, so that when we all look back on this, like as a family in heaven, we can say like, this is how he saved us, you know? Well, and that, I, I think that's like, that's the glory of the saints, you know, Rob, to your question, is it people or ideas? And, uh, I, I've heard this idea that, that people are essentially the mediators and the translators between like the ideas symbolized in heaven, like the platonic kind of notion that the ideas are above, uh, and then you have the earth that's matter and potential and the human being is the person in between that embodies and translates the ideas into the material world. So they're, they're like the conduit that brings those things into existence mm-hmm. and the ideas grip people, but then people actually act them out. And so it makes something that's just potential and kind of ethereal into it has material reality that actually affects people's lives and touches people. And, and it's like, that's why the saints are so dang important because you see how they live. At least this is for me. I see how they live and I'm like, Oh, um, there's actually, yeah, there's another story that's going on here and I need it to be translated in an embodied way so that I can actually see what it looks like. So like when I see parishioners, uh, whose peace is not disturbed and they're actually like really trusting in Jesus Christ when they talk about Russia and all these different things that are going on. Like, oh, look at that. There's there's something different happening there. And I need to see that idea embodied in a person so that I can actually live like the Christian narrative. It, it can't be just an idea there. Mm-hmm. And so to have those saints that actually like bring that stuff into reality they, they mediate heaven and earth. Like that's a powerful, powerful thing to see. Um, and I think that's like, that's why we go back to Therese. It's like, show me what that really looks like. Like, help me understand this. Help me to live in this other world here and now, because man, I get, I do. I keep getting caught up in this world, you know? One thing, dang it, that was for you. That was for you, disc. Um, (laughs) Dang it, that's such a. I know that feeling exactly. You start talking. Oh crud! There it is. Um, Can feel it. This is such a side note on all of that, but it's funny. I don't know if we've told the story on the podcast, but it's one of my favorites from our seminary years when you were talking about um, just like that the deterministic loop. But you remember that it was like a red book. I think Father Gus mm. had us read in philosophy <laughs> on uh, free will and determinism. All you needed to say was red book. And I knew. I know. It. Yeah. And then <laughs> Father, Father Christian, he was like a first year pre-theology guy at dinner with the Chicago guys and Cardinal George. And uh, just, oh my gosh, just walked right into it. And yes, you know, your eminence, uh, we're reading free will and determination. It's like, what what was Cardinal George's response? Like, what are you in kindergarten? <laughs> no, no, it's uh, I think he said, he said, oh, who wrote the book? He was like trying to, you know, Cardinal George loved talking about stuff. He's like, so who was the author? And 
Christian just goes, uh, I don't know. The It's a red book. It's a red book. <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> are you in preschool? <laughs> preschool. <laughs> Dude, burned. Yeah. Burned by Cardinal George, a living saint. In pre the one. <clears throat> like, welcome to seminary, child. <laughs> it's a red Go. book. Finger paints are over there. I just love, like, are you in preschool? <laughs> <laughs> from a mega mind. Yeah, right. right. That's what he dropped. That's from the fold. Right. Yeah. Man. <laughs> oh, gosh. Glorious. Man. Yeah. What else to say about that? Yeah. Mm-mm. I think friendship is is one of the great antidotes to despair as well. Uh, you know, you talk about the worldview, like s- seeing the world that way. I mean, it's kind of happening here where we're reminding each other of reality. Yeah, but uh, that, dis- that discreet, like, I don't know, I'm just thinking out loud here, but the diabolos the devil scatters you know he he wants us to think everything is discreet and separate and individual yeah um and what the spirit is doing is drawing us together and we are and when we're in heaven we will see this is what i mean by like the family looking back we will see how the truth of the matter is that we are an organism we are the body of christ like i am as related to you guys especially as priests but to every baptized Christian as, as related as the cells are in my body, you know, that they don't make sense on their own. And for any of my cells to think like, I'm not responsible for you eating that unhealthy food or, um, whatever, you know, like what unifies us all is the, is the Holy spirit, our baptism. And we, because we are in this last times tension, we, we can like think and, and act as if we are still subject to that, that alienation. And the truth of communion is right here in front of us all the time. And as friends, it's like this great gift that God gives us. Um, as a, I think like an outgrowth of the sacraments, but also leads us back into them. You know, it's one of these fruits of, of spiritual communion is that we are, drawn into spiritual communion with others and friends and we enjoy each other and we get a taste of the kingdom here and now, you know, and that's why it's like not uh, bad to enjoy life even when bad things are happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's necessary. Totally. It, it, that makes me think of, uh, <clears throat> <makes> you think <laughs> of, <laughs> Um, former, GPT. former friends, former, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I got a couple of things bouncing around in my head, but, uh, JP two before the start of world war two, like he would get together with his broskies and, and bro hammers uh, is his, his brochachos, <laughs> brochamigos, broling rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and like they had an underground little, um, like artistic humanities society that's right that was intended to i mean in a a non-stuck-up way like enjoy 
enjoy the finer things of life, even in the midst of like possible destruction and um, on the brink of World War II. Mm-hmm. They actually went out of their way to live into friendship and to live into, you know, the, uh, specifically theater and, you know, doing all these different things together. Uh, so it seems like I think that actually is necessary. It's not just a nice little cherry on top. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, actually, in order to get through things like that, you actually need friendship. Um Well, and I also think I would go even farther to say, or is it further, that it's not just like a means to an end, like, oh, as if, I mean, I guess what I'm thinking is, as you frame that, like, the reality is this darkness and difficulty Mm -hmm. and death, and this thing is kind of like our little um, carry on through that, but really, like, what he's doing with those friends is we're going to live in the real reality fearlessly um, while the world around us is a world and not, not to stand above it like oil and water, but like live in the midst of it because that's where the kingdom is. And we won't, we wouldn't, yeah, we wouldn't want to be outside of the world because that's where Jesus has come to save us. But we are with him, you know, in the storm and we do not fear. And that's the thing about JP two that really, um, I long for is that kind of courage that comes from being in communion. And I think it's from his devotion to the Eucharist and to Mary, uh, that he can stand there with the Soviet union, you know, powers to be when he visits Poland and to be totally fearless. Like, you know, they want that guy dead. He's basically like ending their grip on, Eastern Europe. Yeah, he did that. Dude. Nonviolently. He and he was he was salt and light. Yeah. Like he he added actual flavor to life and and light and reminded people the who they were and what life could be and is yeah. in Jesus. Yeah. Right, cuz dude, he's so epic. Yeah. Um <laughs> I listened to a podcast the other day. Matt Frad was on it and uh, I guess this is a little bit of a confession. I listened to another podcast. Mm. Um, mm. Mm. The, the life is, the world's crazy. Mm. What am I supposed to do, you know? It, and it's called The Glory Restored, I think is what it is. It's Dr. Bob Schutz mm. and another guy. That Schutz is so hot right now. I hear his <laughs> name a lot. Oh, do you? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's Hansel. He's so hot right now. What's that? Damn Hansel. Oh. <laughs> Oh no, hold on to the idea. Um, Matt Fred, Bob Schutz. Matt Fred, Bob Schutz. I think you're about to trash the podcast. And they were being so stupid. And it was not edifying at all. End of story. <laughs> yeah. I agree. No, it, <laughs> man, that's a great point. Just go out of my way to just trash other podcasts. Like, okay, what were we talking about? Apropos um, nothing. They and Matt Frad, <laughs> he was right because it's the the cool thing about JP two is he does that battle on an individual on an individual level with the fight between good and evil in his own heart. But because he does that so intensely, it also affects and impacts 
the the bigger battle between good and evil, which is like clearly on on display, uh, which is an interesting thing. So one of the things that Matt Frad talked about was uh, he was like try describing Lord of the Rings without talking about Sauron or Saruman, like the great the great evil battle that is taking place. Uh, that it, it's actually kind of like a really boring story if you don't actually talk about and describe like the epicness of the villain and the evil that they're facing. And like to see the, the large scale evils played out at the level of like powers and principalities and like, yeah, there is this big battle that's taking place and JP two, he in a sense like fought it at both levels. And I think because he, he had encountered that evil individually within his own heart. It allowed him to, to step onto the world stage yeah. with that courage and with that grace and to be light and to be salt to the world and to stand up to like national global evils, like yeah. these, these huge, huge battles of darkness that will actually inflict great evil like take people's lives, inflict a lot of suffering. And and so in that way, like he is Jesus to the world yeah. there. It, he's an amazing, he's so amazing, dude. I think that's what, that's what I really admire and want to emulate is not just the courage that comes from trust in Jesus, but trust in yourself as mm-hmm transformed by him and and gripped by him and Hmm. he is alive in me um because even that like what you just said you can get wrapped up in the in the internal battle and say like oh lord i'm nothing i'm a sinner i'm bad like all i need to do is get out of your way but he chooses us he you know it's like praying with mark the call of the apostles he summons those whom he wanted so that they might be with him and he might send them to preach like he doesn't need us but he wants us and he's chosen us and He'll be with us. And like, that's been a big area of growth for me in the last three, four years is just trusting my gut, trusting my instincts and like believing that I'm making this choice today to be faithful and I will be faithful because of that choice. And because of the, like, I can count on the grace to follow through and I'm not always worried that I'm going to lose to the, to the devil. And that's, I think where we see it on display in a JP two where he's just not afraid that he is going to, he's going to fall. And Thomas More, same way. Like there's some line, uh, Father Tim Gallagher mentioned this in a homily at IPF once where he, he tells his son-in-law, I think when he's getting on the boat to go, to go to the king to basically die. And he says like, don't worry, the battle's already been fight fought and it's over. Um, meaning in his soul, like he's already decided there's nothing that will stop me from, um, I'll do whatever to, to, to cling to, to the truth here. Well, dudes, we'll see in like a few weeks when we post this, whether this is still relevant. Yeah. Hopefully it's, hopefully it's not. Yeah. That would like, be great. That, that would also be, be so on good. brand as well. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> um, 
because hey, I know we got to get going here in a bit, but I, I'm going to see Peterson live tonight. Oh, sweet. Cool. Yeah. Very excited for that. All right, tell him that, you know, we have a podcast and that it's really important. <laughs> yeah. And if you want, I mean, if he wants to be a silent guest, we can have him on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want him saying anything, though. So uh, the only shout out you're going to get is we're going to go out of our way to trash your podcast. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'm he's super so excited. lucky to get to meet you tonight. Big time. Big time. I'm actually going to bring my family Christmas card. Uh, so I, we paid extra to do these VIP tickets, and we, apparently you get like ten minutes one on one with them, hmm. and I'm like really excited for it. So I've been like thinking about what I'm gonna say. <laughs> I thought about writing it out. So I'm like, so <laughs> I wonder how many people yeah. get, hello get that ten minute. Dr. Peterson. <laughs> Thank you. My name is. <laughs> So Mike. much sweat. It's Mike. My okay. name is Mike. Here we go. <laughs> it's great but to be with you tonight. I got. I, I'm just gonna bring my. This is the family Christmas card, and it's got like it's front and back. It's just all the kids and all the siblings, and I just want to tell them about my dad and about my mom, mm. and I I think he's gonna be pumped about that, and so I'm gonna bring him that, and then I got a rosary that. Um, oh, his wife touched. prays the rosary now, doesn't she? His wife prays the rosary like every day, uh, religiously. And I, I have one, one of the rosaries that I brought out to Kansas, uh, when I went oh, out for yeah. the Capon thing to touch to his, to his altar, to his, his burial place. So I'm going to, I'm going to give that to him and say, Hey, this is for your wife. And I hope she's doing okay. And she can pray this and kind of tell him about Capon as well. So I'm pumped. It's awesome, dude. I have to get going. Yep. Peace, guys. Later, my dudes. Follow Free Dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.